A lot happened since we talked to Jacob Rude last week, so that conversation with him coming your way right now. Also, a lot more realignment stuff is going on. Gavit Games matchups coming up with Jacob. We'll look at all of that. And in some new mock drafts coming out from ESPN, not a whole lot of Big Ten representation in the first round for next year's NFL draft. Why is that? Doesn't matter with still nine months left to go. We'll figure it all out here on Locked On Big Ten. You are Locked On Big Ten, your daily podcast on the Big Ten Conference. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You're listening into Locked On Big Ten, everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week, at least three times a week here during the off-season months when we're out of school. Jacob Rood of Locked On Hoosiers is in with us today to talk a little bit about the Gavit Games coming up, schedules released, and also about some way, way too early lists that, of course, always are a topic here during these months as well. We've got some mock drafts coming out. One just recently, and then we'll look back at a Todd McShay mock draft from right after the NFL draft as well, too. It's going to be, again, a lot of speculation, but that's what we do during these months. But first, let's talk about the for certain stuff, Jacob. The Gavit Games schedule has been set. Eight matchups between Big Ten teams and Big East teams, similar to the Big Ten ACC Challenge, but not quite as big yet. This, I think it's the seventh or eighth year of them doing it. And some good matchups here on the slate. Let's start with your Hoosiers. They're facing off against Xavier. That one is a road game. Yes, it's a road game. So, I mean, what are you thinking right now about the matchup, at least as it stands for the Hoosiers? And this is an early game, too. This is like middle of November. That's something to point out. That's important to start off. Uh, yeah, last year, the Gavit games for Indiana was the third game on the schedule against uh, St. John's. So, yeah, really early in the year, these take place. I mean, one of the big things last year with IU is that um, they struggled on the road and they just didn't really go on the road at all last year. So uh, it wasn't really until uh, Big Ten play started that they even really had road games um, or even neutral site games. So. It's a it's different this season because I mean obviously this Xavier game, Xavier's kind of a, a borderline top twenty five team right now. You're going to a place that I use never been to. They've never been to I believe it's the Centas Arena now, but they've never been to Xavier. Um, and you're challenging this IU team early on. They're um, again last season there was just kind of a lot of questions because they just didn't play anybody and non-conference play and we didn't really know what they were and had to figure some things out uh by big 10 play this season we're, uh you're gonna know a lot about iu because they're playing at xavier here and what's going to be the third fourth game of the season they have unc at home they're going to vegas to play arizona they're going to kansas uh so this is a kind of it was the final big piece we were waiting on for IU's non-conference schedule. It's going to be one of the toughest non-conference schedules in the nation, I would imagine, between um, UNC, Kansas, and Arizona. That's three top 15, top 20 teams, and then Xavier on the road is a top 25 team. So uh, a tough schedule, but uh, I'm excited. This is a, this is going to be a, a fun game. That was kind of my big point when I talked about it on the show, is that this is a matchup that I, the last time IU played Xavier was 2007, and I just enjoy those types of matchups where it's teams that 
uh, don't typically play one another. And it's, it's a little bit different. I used played UNC a bunch in the big 10 ACC challenge. So while that's exciting because they're two talented teams, uh, I enjoy kind of mixing it up a bit. So I use Xavier is going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to. Just to stay on the Hoosiers for a second. I mean, the team last year got off to a hot start, but didn't have a whole lot to really show for it after all those early season wins, right? As far as like an actual resume goes this year, a lot of challenges, a lot of expectations, but also Mike Woodson going into year number two. I mean, what are you feeling about how this team's going to start off this season? Because I feel like that's going to be a big part of how we at least get that first impression of what Indiana basketball is. Yeah, this feels like the natural progression. I mean, Mike Woodson had said that he wanted a tough schedule. He certainly got, he certainly put together one, uh, but he wanted a tough schedule. But last year, I mean, it, it made sense. Maybe it was a little bit too easy, but it made sense that they were trying to learn a new coach and there was a, a fair amount of transfers last year. And uh, so it, it made sense to have a little bit of an easier schedule to figure some things out. As you said, they won a bunch of games, but it didn't really amount to much. Um, this year, it's going to be different. I mean, there isn't that acclimation process you have to do. There, most likely, there's going to be four returning starters uh, for this game. You're just integrating one freshman, uh, Jalen hood Shafino, into that starting lineup. So this is a group that's going to be familiar with one another. And so it makes sense that you start having more games like this where – you can kind of move to that next step and um, start challenging yourself to find out some things. I also think that like in general, it seems like the selection committee when it comes to the selection Sunday and whatnot, they typically reward strong non-conference schedules. And it seems like a lot of times kind of regardless of if you played well in those games or not, if you, if you kind of test yourself with non-conference schedules um it seems that they reward that or that's kind of a, a maybe a tiebreaker of sorts at times. So that was another thing that, I mean, I going to have a tough non-conference schedule. I don't know how good they're going to be at it. Well, it remains to be seen, but I think that was another factor there is that IU cut it really close in the, 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 uh, the tournament last season. So maybe their, their eyes were that way a little bit. They're going to have a lot more chances at kind of, big victories that weren't on the schedule either last season during non-conference play. Yeah, IU has that experience, but I mean, UNC has that experience yeah. going back. I, I haven't really looked at the Xavier roster, but I'm sure Xavier, I'm sure you've looked at a little more now, but they've, I'm sure, had some experience coming back too. It's going to be really interesting to see how the Hoosiers start off this season, especially with that game right there. Another interesting one is going to be Michigan State facing off against a Villanova team that's going to be playing one of its first games without head coach Jay Wright. Uh, really interesting kind of dynamic there. Game's going to be up in East Lansing. I think that's maybe the best matchup of these eight games when you just look at uh, maybe uh, both what those teams are going to be and, and program prestige. Yeah, that's what I had kind of earmarked as the the light matchup of this Gavit Games. Um, it's going to be weird. Like Jay Wright's just was such a fixture with Villanova that it's going to be weird not to see him on the sideline for this one. It would have been such a, a great coaching matchup, Jay Wright against Tom Izzo. Uh, so, I mean, this is kind of in that same vein. We're going to find out pretty early on about this Villanova team under a new head coach and uh, what it's going to look like for, uh, the Wildcats this season and 
Michigan State on the road is about as tough of a test as you're going to get in the Big Ten uh, because of Tom Izzo. Um, I know at times Michigan State, uh, it seems like they start off slow and hit their stride in Big Ten play. We'll see. I assume this is going to come shortly after Michigan State plays. I don't know which of Duke, uh, Kentucky, or Kansas they play this year in that one, but um, they're gonna. That's gonna come shortly after that. So they always challenge themselves in uh, non-conference play. So it's gonna be interesting to see. Uh, that's just a big thing I'll be watching how Villanova looks without Jay Wright as the head coach now, because it wasn't just that he was so much of a fixture, but it was also they had such a specific like play style under Jay Wright. And uh, does a new head coach just try to extend that? Do they uh, try something them- different themselves? It's just going to be interesting to see what a new look Villanova team is this season. Yeah, it's a Big Ten show, but much more interested to see how those Villanova Wildcats end up uh, starting out their season than what the Spartans do. You know the Spartans are going to be at least tournament ready. By, by yeah. the time we get to the end of the season, hopefully it's been a little bit up in the air, maybe one or the last few years, but it's something that I feel like you kind of tune in. And if you're a big 10 fan, even you're like, yeah, I need to know what this team is. If Jay Wright's not there on that bench, but again, we'll see what that ends up looking like other matchups, Iowa facing off it's against Seton hall, Marquette and Purdue Butler and Penn state Northwestern and Georgetown. Nebraska against St. John's uh, going up and down. I don't know if there's anything that really sticks down, sticks out within those matchups, but if I had to choose a favorite, I guess maybe Marquette at Purdue, like those two teams, Butler at Penn state, those matchups are, are at least things that uh, names that catch my attention. Maybe. Yeah. Penn state Butler was the other one that I thought was, uh, was interesting because Butler has a new head coach that Mata there now. Um, but I mean, Penn state, Micah Shrewsbury has, uh, seems like he's kind of started to get that program turned around a little bit. They were competitive for a lot of last season. I mean, they beat the Hoosiers, uh, last season. So, uh, he had them playing, uh, more fun, a lot better basketball, uh, playing against Butler and playing against Thad Mata. And as he kind of tries to revitalize that program a bit, that was another one that I, uh, was interested to see and, probably one I'll be tuning into, but yeah, those two Butler, Penn state Marquette at Purdue as well. Um, I'm not really sure what Purdue is going to look like uh, this season. They're going to have some questions as well after losing Jaden Ivy and Travion Williams. Um, You know, they have some talent, but again, another kind of early game that you can uh, figure out what this team's going to look like. That's really what I think these graphic games kind of serve is they're, uh, their biggest purpose is just kind of figuring out early on what these teams are going to look like because so many teams you just don't really know. Purdue, like we said, and Villanova and and Butler under Thad Mata, what's that look like? Uh, Penn State, can they kind of continue that momentum? Things like that. Iowa is going to be uh, a lot different without Keegan Murray. So um, I, that that's one of the biggest reasons I enjoy the Gavit games is it's just this really early test to – to figure out where you stand and it kind of, it can expose some flaws or weaknesses to work on, but it can also serve to um, be a big like springboard or, or launching pad into the season as well. I think you nailed it there. This is a list of teams that 
a lot of you, you don't know what they're going to be this season. I, yeah. I mean, you mentioned Iowa, Purdue, Penn State, uh, looking at something like even in Northwestern and Nebraska, I suppose. But j- just the teams that are playing these really early games, giving us a really good opportunity to at least get a first look, give us something to react to, because just far too often you have non-conference schedules that aren't exciting. And I feel like maybe like the pendulums maybe officially gone too far on that and is starting to swing back where we're seeing teams more and more often schedule some more and more really good non-conference games. Cause I feel like there was a stretch there, maybe like five, 10 years ago where it got really kind of out of hand where nobody was playing anybody for the most part outside of like these challenges or these trips to an aircraft carrier or something like that. (laughs) If it wasn't something like that, like you were playing the no names that were within a hundred miles of your school at home, pretty much the entire non-conference schedule, which worked for the best teams, of course. But I think a lot of teams also started to learn that uh, if you're not up that top of the top, those games can really hurt you too at the end of the season. So we're getting better non-conference games. That matters. But also, we're going to learn a lot about these teams, again, like Iowa, Purdue, a Penn State that you mentioned. I mean, if you threw in like a Wisconsin into this list as well, it'd be one of those things where, again, it's just something where you can get all the information that you need, not all the information you need, but all the information you need to have an opinion the day after because they're playing these games. Nobody's getting anything out of playing IPFW, for example. <laughs> that one, uh, that strings a chord because that, uh, that's a team <laughs> I, you lost to, but uh, the, I, I don't disagree because I think, I mean, to some extent that might be why the selection committee kind of started rewarding uh, tougher non-conference schedules is because it, it trended the other way so severely for so long. I mean, IU was uh, a, a part of that. There was cries forever, whether under Tom Crean, whether under Archie Miller, to just schedule tougher opponents. Like there were, there was a clause I remember in Archie Miller's contract where he got a bonus if he just didn't schedule somebody um, out like worse than. 300 in Ken Palm basically and he did it every year I, I didn't understand it he he like he just passed up that money to play a, an easier opponent so um I think it trended kind of that too far as you were saying in one direction and now it seems that we're coming back to it uh it'll be interesting to see I think this might be the final year the Gavit games is supposed to happen um be interesting to see if it continues but yeah these serve as and that early test, I mean, if looking back to last season, and I'm sure this was a case for other teams, but obviously I use the one that I know specifically when IU played St. John's and, and won that game, it served as like a, a, a I mean, the launching pad is what I'm going to keep using, but we kind of realized, oh, this IU team is pretty good. Like this is a, a decent IU team and we, there were flaws there, but like it was a good team. And I think that can be the case for a lot of teams to realize just how good of a team you have, whether you have a tournament team. That was the first time where a lot of IU fans are like, oh, maybe this team can actually make the tournament this year. So that's what I enjoy most about these is just these kind of initial first impressions to figure out what type of team you have and what the outlook of your team is going to be this season. Well, it's again, I think that's the big takeaway is that we're going to be able to get an opportunity early on to at least get a glimpse at what these teams are early on. Again, teams change throughout the course of the season and get better and worse as well, too. But at least at the very beginning, it's going to be more than just the throwaway games that we 
are, are still, of course, seeing all the time, but are starting to get a little, little bit less frequent. After the break with Jacob, we'll get into a little bit of speculation, more than what this GABA game schedule is, of course. Uh, NFL draft is now almost a full year away still, as it just happened, but we are still getting, of course, mock drafts for next season started up. Where do the best Big Ten players go in the latest, at least first round projections from both Todd McShay and Matt Miller over at ESPN? They released mock drafts in, I believe it's the last month for both of them, maybe even a little more for Rick Shea, but we'll talk about both of them and where they have players standing at the start of this offseason here with Jacob in just a second. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. Listen, you know about LinkedIn. I don't have to tell you what it is. It's the place to go to get a job or just have your professional profile seen. It's the Facebook for the professional world. I got this job doing LinkedIn and going through people there. So if you go to LinkedIn jobs, you know, you're talking about if you're an employer, the biggest pool of candidates out there. If you're a person looking for a job, the most amount of jobs are out there. Everyone is on LinkedIn. Everyone is on LinkedIn. It's the biggest network for this kind of thing that you can find out there. 810 million people here on this platform. So if you're someone looking for a job, looking to get somebody a job, needing someone to add to your team, any of it, you can do it over at LinkedIn Jobs. It helps you find the candidates you wanna to talk to faster. Did you know every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. That's linkedin.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening into Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the conference every day of the week, at least three times a week here during the off season. But right now we're going to talk a little bit about what's going to be happening in the next off season. The NFL draft in 2023, of course, talks start up as soon as the 2022 draft ends. So we've already got a couple of mock drafts to look at. One from just over a month ago from Todd McShay. Another one from just a couple of days ago coming out of Matt Miller in at ESPN. It's a list that has a whole lot of Ohio State representation, of course, Jacob. But given the amount of talent we saw leaving out of the Big Ten this year, you mentioned it's not quite as impressive, at least the way things look right now, what the Big Ten is going to have in next year's draft class. Yeah, that's a big thing that just stuck out looking at these um, mock drafts is just the yeah, there's just not a lot of talent right now. I know this is a mock draft in June, late June, uh, and McShay's was even earlier than that, but it just stuck out to me how little talent there is in the Big Ten this season. Um, it's, I mean, there. I believe there was only three or four Ohio State players only, <laughs> relatively speaking, uh, down here for them, I guess. But uh, then there was just one other Big Ten player, and it was an offensive tackle for Northwestern and and, uh, the more recent of the mock drafts with Matt Miller. So um, there was so, like I said, and like you kind of referenced, there was so much talent that left the Big Ten this past offseason. This is kind of something we talked about when we were looking at the uh, Athlon's preseason teams and just how it seemed like 
there was such a, a drop off in talent. And this is just kind of a, a different way of showing that is just taking a look at kind of comparing the players to others across the nation. And you see that there just isn't a lot of Big Ten representation in these. No, no, it's not. But at the top of that is the pair of Ohio State players, C.J. Stroud and Jack, Jackson Smith in Jigba. I want to start with the quarterback Stroud because on both of the mock drafts that we have, he's the first quarterback off the board. But there are a lot of quarterbacks right there with him in these numbers. There's a uh, Bryce Young, of course, from Alabama's right there alongside him. Uh, Anthony Richardson out of Florida is right there too. I'm just going up and down the list as I read it here, straight from uh, Matt Miller's list. And I'm running out of room now here. Will Levis is right there. Jaron Hall from BYU. Tyler Van Dyke out of Miami is all in that top 10 that came out two days ago. I think that's a little bit much, but is CJ Stroud right now the top quarterback in this class? I mean, of course, the big name that comes to mind is Bryce Young when you think about the devil's advocate pick to be somebody else. It's it's one of those two. I mean, it's like the um, Heisman last year, basically. It's one of those two, and it, it, it feels like – I mean, watching I, – I obviously – don't watch Bryce Young as much as I've watched CJ Stroud, but it's hard to imagine anybody better than him. Just he's such a, like, I don't even know the right word, almost lethal like type of player and just such a, a, a great player. I, I mean, I think back to just the Rose bowl where he threw for 600 yards and six touchdowns. Um, I mean, Jackson Smith and Jigba caught like 350 yards and, and I think half those touchdowns, but um, I, I think CJ Stroud's probably the best of the bunch. Um, I know Bryce Young's there, um, the Kentucky quarterback. I mean, they're, like you said, there's just, there's like five quarterbacks in a row right there. So, um, you could make the argument for a number of guys, but, um, I would say it's Stroud and Young just kind of doing it against the competition that they do. Um, I would probably set them apart from the others, but, I mean, two really, really good quarterbacks. I mean, obviously they were finalists for the Heisman and whatnot, but um, I would put Stroud up there just just having watched him. It's just it, – it feels like he's one of those quarterbacks where when he's going, it feels like you just don't really have a chance. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, again, this list, it's – I'm going to count up just again in the top ten. You've got one quarterback, two quarterbacks, three quarterbacks, four quarterbacks – yeah, four quarterbacks, one, two, three, four, five quarterbacks in this top 10. Yeah. Check that. Five quarterbacks in this top 10. I'd imagine, again, it's going to be Stroud and Bryce Young have kind of solidified their spots there. I don't think they are going to be able to do anything so horrible in this season that they'll fall off. But I'd say that out of those other three, Levis, Jaron Hall, Van Dyke, anybody else you want to put up there, I, I would imagine that like one of them maybe kind of stands out and gets up to that actual level. This seems like kind of just a, a mock draft problem where quarterbacks are available, teams at the top of the draft need quarterbacks. So before you see anything, it's easy to pick the quarterback to be the guy. But of course, the season plays out and things change. I would imagine we will not be seeing five top 10 quarterbacks in the 2023 NFL draft. Maybe, but I don't think it could be happening. But you never know what that position uh, going to Jackson Smith in Jigba, um, on these lists, he's a top five pick throughout. McShay had him at four just about a month ago. Uh, Miller put him at number two overall. 
is that too high to pick a wide receiver right now? Because you would think it would be in previous years, but the game's changing. Yeah. I mean, it made me do a double take when I saw it. Uh, I mean, I obviously he's really good. And I mean, McShay had him number four, so it's not a huge different uh, difference. I, man, it is, I I can't remember the last time I think it said it uh, Miller said in his uh, mock draft that Calvin Johnson was the last time a receiver went that high. Um, Calvin Johnson was a freak, like, and that's kind of the level you have to be at. Uh, That's a high bar. So I, it, it feels wild to take a, a receiver that high, but I mean, I just said that Smith and Jigba had 350 yards and three touchdowns in a game last season against a, a Pac-12 opponent in the Rose Bowl. So he's really, really good. I would probably – I feel like I would have to, like, see that level of production again for another season. To use the number two pick in the draft on him, as circumstances matter too. Like, if it's the Chicago Bears where he's going in this draft, like, you have a quarterback with Justin Fields, getting him a, a star wide receiver makes sense. But I wide receiver also feels like one of those positions that you can find talent throughout the draft. So using the number two pick on a receiver, you have to be really, really certain that that guy is just like levels above everyone else. And if you look in the kind of rest of the mock draft, there aren't many other receivers it's down into the teens and the late teens uh i think 16 14 is the next wide receiver selected so like and Jigba's pretty clearly uh the best wide receiver in this draft but you have to be like a, a whole other level as a prospect overall i think to be the number two pick but again i mean situation matters and if if it is the bears i mean receiver has been a, a need of theirs for a long time so in that sense it kind of makes sense but man i i definitely did a double take when i saw him as the number two pick we should note that too it's miller has the bears right now as the number two pick of course that's all speculation as well todd mcshay's mock draft has a completely different order he has the bears at number seven so there is i i believe at least i they don't go in and explain all of the methodology of course behind it but i believe there's they're picking the teams that think will be there and picking with what those teams need, at least to a certain extent. So I think, yeah, maybe Smith and Jigma won't be way, way up there, but he he's definitely that kind of a talent. And when you're looking at wide receivers in that class, nobody's done what he has done already on the football field. So it makes sense that he would be there. A couple of other just picks that need to be gone through. Northwestern has a lineman. Uh, Peter Skaronsky, that's number 12 to the commanders. You got me looking at teams now to make sure that everything's right when I'm trying to find these guys. Paris Johnson Jr., an offensive tackle out of Ohio State. Uh, if they're first-round linemen, there isn't really much to talk about. These are guys who are supposed to be the solid players. Uh, you, you mentioned, like, with the NBA draft that just happened, you're looking for, like, superstars. In the NFL draft, the reason why you don't pick a wide receiver second overall is because in that first round, you can't miss, really. It's a big, big mistake if you have that first round pick go to waste. You can't really have that. So uh, that's why people don't pick skill players all that high all that often. If Smith and Jigba ends up there, that's great. But with these offensive linemen, you're getting the sure picks on teams that, I mean, everyone needs a lineman. 
everyone needs alignment just about right like nobody nobody's out there feeling perfect about what they have on both sides of those lines you can always add more so when you get like a paris johnson jr mcshay had him at 11 and miller at 22 skaronsky mcshay had him at 13 miller at 12 those are just players who are going to be good in the nfl you draft them you plug them in and say just the expectation is at least 10 years out of you yeah, I mean, like you were saying, you can never have too many good offensive linemen. Like, that's never a problem. You can, I've never heard a team say, man, I wish we had less good offensive linemen. So, uh, those guys are always going to be valued. And that's why we see, as you, again, as you were saying, that's why we see these like offensive linemen and these more surefire bets are the ones that are, that are picked in these first rounds. Because if you miss, and especially if you miss with the number two pick on a wide receiver, like, um it's going to be remembered to say the least so you got to be really certain and there's just such a high variance for a, a receiver or a skill position player as you were saying versus players like Paris Johnson um and offensive lineman uh Peter Skoronsky Skr- I butchered that name but uh guys like that where the floor is a lot lower and the your miss potential there isn't as great but the ceiling may not be as high um, as it is with the Jackson Smith and Jigba. So, um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. Like for, in terms of big 10 prospects though, which is uh, as eye popping as anything, just, I scrolled through this list or through this first round, like three different times just to make sure I wasn't overlooking anybody because uh, once you get those two offensive linemen off the board, um, fairly early on in the draft, uh, there's just nothing. So um, there's there's talent in the top 12 for uh, the Big Ten, but once you get past that, like, it's gone. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all of your betting needs and sports information. If you want to know the latest on what's going on in the sports betting world, the latest shift in lines, analysis from experts, they've got it at BetOnline.net. If you just want to know about the sports, how your teams are doing, things like that, they have season reviews from all of the different sports leagues, of course, that you can bet on too. And BetOnline.net is always your number one source for the latest in odds, lines, and movements and things of the sort. So head on over to BetOnline right now to make sure that you're getting everything that you need to stay sharp as a better. It's BetOnline.net, where the game starts. Welcome back into Locked On Big Ten. Everything you need to know about the conference every day. Uh, thanks again to Jacob Rood for talking to us again last week. We get it out to you just now because, again, uh, a lot happened over the conference news since when we talked to Jacob. Uh, We'll get to more on that in just a minute, though. First, an update on recruiting as we wrap up the show here today. Uh, Some news in the recruiting trail, a big commitment for Ohio State back on Friday. They landed four-star athlete Jermaine Matthews Jr. He's going to be a Buckeye. Other commits from over the weekend, Kanari Wilcher, a three-star safety committed to Illinois. DeAndre Duffus, a three-star offensive tackle, has committed to Maryland. And Zach Ortworth, a three-star tight end, is committed to Iowa and the Hawkeyes. Heard a lot of things, actually, from Hawkeyes fans looking at tape and stuff. Really excited about being able to get him there. Big frame, I believe it's six foot four, And they're saying he has that ability and athleticism to be really good. So we'll, of course, dive into more on that. We're going to talk to John Garcia Jr. of Sports Illustrated at the end of the week here on Friday. I may have that up here as like a 
kind of bonus episode because we won't get to him until later in the day on that Friday. But again, we'll talk to John about all that and some of the other biggest notes from recruiting later on in this week since the last time we talked to him. It's been a couple of weeks. And also, of course, what does this expansion mean for the Big Ten's recruiting abilities? We'll get into all of that with John. It's going to be a busy week here. Anywho, moving on to the latest news in Big Ten expansion. Of course, we all know about USC and UCLA, but things are far from done. We've said that from the start, and things are now back in motion. CBS Sports reporting earlier today that six schools are in talks with the Big 12 from the Pac-12 to join the conference potentially making the Big 12 some sort of new, like, mega conference with a bunch of teams, or maybe even getting the Big 12 and Pac-12 to merge into one conference entirely. I don't know if that's the possibility right now. The reporting is six teams right now named were Utah, Colorado, Arizona State, and Arizona in talks with the Pac-12. In similar vein, 10 schools, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, have at least in some way, as it was quoted in the article informally, reached out to the Big Ten. So what does this mean for Big Ten expansion going forward? I mean, there's one thing that that needs to be made clear. The Big Ten, even with adding USC and UCLA, has not added anybody who is not an AAU-credited institution. So there's a list of schools who have this accreditation. The Big Ten is big on making sure everyone knows it's still big on its academics, too. The talk has always been about them not adding anyone off that list. I, I would have to imagine the talk's a little bit different right now. But again, 10 teams, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, at least informally reaching out to the Big Ten after they added USC and UCLA. Uh the Pac-12 is negotiating its media rights. That was announced earlier today that its board is of a board of executives, I think they call it, has voted, I think it was, unanimously to open up its new media rights deal right now. Uh, desperate play by the Pac-12, but really all it has left to do here, if it can get some sort of big money in this negotiation quickly, then maybe that's a possibility to try and get some schools to stay on or maybe try to pivot and become one of the conference that can take in schools instead of the one that's losing, again, potentially up to eight schools in a week here. But anyway, right now that's all they can do, uh, aside from, again, doing something with the Big 12 to try and work together with it and create some sort of big super mega conference or whatever it is out of what's left after the Big Ten and SEC and everyone else are done picking off the best schools in the nation. So that's one interesting kind of side thing, but I think the Pac-12 may be dead here. If those schools leave, it's obviously not the same conference that it once was, but doing this media rights thing, I mean, if you're the conference, it's the last hope you've got. So I don't know. Also, talk of Notre Dame, and as a Big Ten fan and someone who grew up less than an hour away from the Notre Dame campus, it's something that I think, as I've mentioned when we talked on a roundtable with Matt Sheehan before, Notre Dame, I don't think, does any sort of move without them starting to really lose first. What I think can easily happen, and could easily happen quickly, is that affiliation Notre Dame has with the ACC and all other sports 
instantly just becomes an affiliation with the Big Ten. Uh, I'm talking about the basketball, uh, lacrosse, Notre Dame has, I mean, everything. Notre Dame plays well in a lot of sports and has a lot of sports. But anywho, if that ends up being the case, that could be a first step toward football becoming a Big Ten team at some point. But I feel like I know that Notre Dame, more than anything else, likes being Notre Dame football and will be willing to not make as much money to stay Notre Dame football. I don't know what extent that goes to. The numbers are now becoming bigger than they ever have. So is there a tipping point there where Notre Dame just says, you know what, we're still Notre Dame even if we're playing a conference schedule every year, and USC is going to still be on that schedule every year too with them joining the Big Ten? I don't know exactly how all that works. But, at least right now, I would say that Notre Dame is still perfectly fine being an independent football team and will not be changing that, at least as a reaction to something happening. If they start really losing out in the money, that could be another thing. But, at least for now, I think Notre Dame still wants to beat Notre Dame. And by the way, they're not losing in the money, at least at this point, not by a long shot. So, there's a lot to think about there, and Notre Dame's still doing fine. It would have to take a turn for the worst for that school to be able to do what it needs to to convince, honestly, the people who matter at that school that they should be in a conference over not being. Because the people who are making the decisions at Notre Dame, they really, really like. Again, being Notre Dame, being independent, being the tradition of Notre Dame football. I don't think that changes with just these teams moving. It may change when the numbers start to change with it. We will see, and who knows, maybe when that Big Ten media rights number comes out, it becomes so big that there is something just, in a way, Notre Dame can't even deny needs to be done here. That's at least my thoughts on that right now. I think more Big Ten expansion is coming, not like, will be coming, but is coming potentially soon. I just don't think Notre Dame football is going to be one of them. Now, if all the other sports want to flip over, absolutely. They'll do that in a second. Notre Dame doesn't care about anything else. That's why they did the ACC deal, so they could get the more money. If the Big Ten becomes the more money, it's a school in Indiana. It's in the heart of Big Ten country. Why not? Uh, it's just, I think, Notre Dame is going to be willing to at least lose out on some money to remain that independent team, at least at first, at least until things start to get a little bit drastic in the margins there. But that's at least my thoughts on it. Uh, I, again, the news side of things is six teams negotiating with the Big 12 from the Pac-12, and 10 teams, at least informally, have reached out to the Big 10. So as we mentioned last week when this happened, this did not seem like a single move thing that was going to go down. When you go and get USC and UCLA and become a national conference, that really, I think, starts to turn the wheel even more than Oklahoma and Texas. We debated whether it was a bigger move, one or the other, the Oklahoma-Texas move or USC and UCLA. I think this one, if it's not a bigger move for just the sports as a whole, it may start the turning of the wheel. It may be a bigger domino to fall as far as what's to happen next because of the geography of it more than anything else. This has been Locked On Big Ten. I'm Nate Dickinson. We're here at least three times a week 
during the off-season months. We'll be back to every single day in August, but as we start up July, we've got a whole lot to go through too. A lot of recruiting stuff to get into and We'll have it all for you, of course, right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Subscribe, by the way, to all the other Big Ten shows if you're a fan of one particular school, as most people are.